All right, HTC, how are you doing? Oh man, what a great weekend this is to be together. And for those of you who are looking at me and going, Todd, you're fine, but man, that's all? That's all the band is gonna do tonight? Absolutely not. They will be back. I wanna hear you sing like you were singing a few moments ago. And we are gonna keep celebrating this great news that Jesus indeed is risen. Amen? Man. We're going to talk today, we're going to look in scripture, we're going to see how this really does. We just have to keep reminding ourselves of what we shouldn't have to remind ourselves of, that this changes everything. If you have a Bible, would you find your way to the last chapter of the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel in the New Testament. Have your Bible open, you've got some notes on the way. And it's so good to be with you here in Powell Auditorium. For those of you that are watching with us, whether it's Saturday night or on Easter Sunday, we're so glad that you're here. And man, what an incredibly powerful time our Good Friday service was. And just the opportunity to have this campus packed to the gills, people flowing out of places. We didn't know where to put them all. But what a great time to just sit in the tension of that we're celebrating a death. It's wild to even comprehend that, but we are and we did because of what that death afforded us. And the great news is Jesus didn't stay there. And so we get to celebrate. I hope beyond this great news of Easter that you are loving our high desert weather over the weekend. Maybe winter's in the rear view, but the minute I say that, you know, like Todd, doggone it. It's gonna be in the 40s this week because you said something. I hope that you've had a chance to get out and take advantage of that a little bit. I am slow to the game, a late adopter of the thing we call golf, but I went for the very first time this weekend, played 18 holes, and I'm on this resurrection miracle weekend. And I'm sitting out there on the course and I'm going, I'm gonna have an incredible story to tell. Here's this guy who's never golfed before, and he's just gonna launch this ball and it's gonna bounce, 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 clip. That didn't even come close to happening. But the miracle I have to tell you, the guys we were golfing with, my son Jackson, my son-in-law Joe, and our friend Tanner, the miracle they said that I did walk away with, I only lost one ball. So we're gonna go, we're gonna take that for what it is, and for those of you who don't know golf, I don't know why that's a big deal either. So there you go. Okay, there you go. Well, here's what we've been in. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad that you're here. If you've been around throughout our series, we've been calling this a place at the table. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke and Luke has this interesting fascination of the things I love, Jesus and food. And more than any of the other gospels, Jesus ta- or that Luke talks about Jesus around the table with people. And these different interactions that happen, sometimes is Jesus saying incredibly powerful things. Other times he's doing miracles around a menu. Other times he's receiving worship in the most profound ways. All of this happens around the table. And so we kind of do this really cool thing as we're going to look and see one last time in the Gospel of Luke, literally the very last chapter of the book can't help but include a meal. And what we're going to see is this powerful reality that on this resurrection weekend, the very first one 2,000 years ago, news was getting out on Sunday morning that Jesus 
was no longer, his body was no longer in the tomb. Now, initially, people thought, well, someone came and stole his body or somebody moved it, but they didn't necessarily assume he was alive. But women who were there that morning, angels came and told them, no, 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 he's not just been moved, he's moving. And Jesus is alive. The reports were coming back and people were, even those who loved Jesus and were following him could not believe it. It was unbelievable to think because they with their own eyes had seen him die on a Roman cross just two days earlier. This can't be true. They were slow to believe and we're going to consider the resurrection story through the most unlikely of shoes. We're gonna walk a trail. And we're gonna start in Jerusalem, the center of where everything has been going on, and we're gonna make our way to Emmaus. The Bible's gonna tell us it's a city about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, a town, not even a city. And we're gonna walk along with people who have been hearing the news of the risen Savior, people who don't, aren't just around the news, they were followers of Jesus but can't believe it. And we're gonna see in the most unlikely of things that a stranger who joins them, they're going to start talking about someone only to realize they're talking with that someone. And I'm so excited to dial in. Beyond this particular narrative, we're gonna finish our time today by reminding ourselves in this series, one time we'll be out of the book of Luke and we'll remind ourselves of one more meal that is still yet to come for all who place their faith in Jesus. So let's dial in. We're in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, if you have your notes ready to go, let's dial in. Number one, Jesus's resurrection was seemingly too fantastic to believe initially. That's the way it was being, even as people were talking about it, even as they were saying, I've been to the tomb, there's no body there. I saw angels, they told me he was alive. People believed it was too fantastic of a story. It's unbelievable. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about what had happened, about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus, the risen Jesus. But watch, verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. He's just a stranger on the road. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have been happened there these last days? Are you the only bumpkin who doesn't know what's been going on? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. 
This is, maybe I'm just a little weird. This is one of my favorite narratives about the resurrection. No other gospel, Matthew, Mark, or John contains this narrative, but I love it. I love it because what it's gonna help us do today is is sometimes we jump from Friday to Sunday so fast, we don't live in Saturday long enough. Or we don't live in the early parts of Sunday before anyone had seen the risen Jesus and processing the reality of sheer loss. Devastation that the one that you had put your trust in, the one that you believed was truly the son of God has died. The hope is over. We're gonna find out today it's not just that they believed in the Jesus that Jesus presented himself to be, they had actually conjured up their own understanding and their own expectations of who he was. And he had also failed to live up to those. So people are wrecked and these two walking to Emmaus demonstrate that really well. They come upon, we realize that these two, in the way they're talking, we don't see the name Cleopas in part of the 12. He's not, these two are not part of the 12 disciples, but even phrases like, and our companions, these people were part of the the big D disciples of Jesus. And they were following him and man, this was just the worst weekend ever. And as they're processing all this reality and just faces down, they're they're met by a stranger. The Bible tells us that Jesus was hidden from them. So so we need to kind of see that for what it is. It's not as though their sorrow was so intense they couldn't see what was right in front of them. It says that he was veiled. They were kept from seeing or understanding who they were talking to. So there is a dimension, we might even call it a spiritual reality that is keeping them from being aware. But I'm gonna show you as we walk through, I think there's some really profound reasons why this was happening. They start walking down the road and and Jesus just simply says this stranger to them, what are you talking about? And their answer is so great. We're leaving Jerusalem, we're maybe on the outskirts of the city. What do you mean what we're talking about? It's like if you were in the high desert the last weekend of February and everyone's talking about the snow that we had and whether you're just in the regular part of the desert, definitely in the mountains just blew us away that weekend. And, And someone's talking to you on Monday and they're like, how was your weekend? And you're like, what do you mean? How was my weekend? We were sledding in my front yard. How was my weekend? We were trying to figure out which campus was gonna be open for church that day because we were having all kinds of troubles. And how do you not know this? That's the attitude that these two have. Like, how do you not know what's been going on? And this phrase, I love it so much. How do you not know these things? Jesus with consummate, perfect timing. What things? What things? Are you kidding me? The thing, and it's all about you. And I read that phrase and I have to ask the question, is Jesus just messing with them? The phrase that we use a lot nowadays, he gaslighting them. Like, I know what, I'm just playing with you. Or, or is there a bigger purpose for why he's asking questions he already knows the answers to? Because you see, as they begin to share what had happened, they actually are telling the story that was in the first 12 verses 
And in to chapter 23 that we looked at, a Good Friday, all the realities of how Jesus through these phony trials and this crazy arrest was marched before Pilate only to have the crowds overwhelm his sense of reason and morality. And he offers up Jesus to be crucified with two thieves. Everything they say is exactly what the text tells us happens. But, but I want you to see something really powerfully. I want you to see what they're also adding. You see, as they share these different realities and they share even the sense that this body, they, the women went, it was ceremonial to go and put these spices on a dead body. The women are blown away. There's no body there, but angels telling them that he's risen. These two people walking out of Jerusalem where all the action is, they've given up and their hope is crushed. And even the report of women who've said, it's not just that the tomb is empty, angels told us he's alive, they don't buy it. And they just keep walking, walking home. It's over. Three days now, it is over. And as Jesus is walking with them, the reality is, is that what we know to be true is though it looked to the crowds that it was a political assassination, though it looked like maybe a religious martyrdom, we know from the rest of scripture that's not true at all. Nobody made Jesus go to the cross, Jesus willingly went there. And not just to die, but to offer himself a sinless sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. All that, that sin up until that point and all ever since, including yours and mine. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, as John the baptizer had called him at the very beginning, willingly offered himself to atone, to redeem us from our sin. That's what was going on at the cross. But the wild thing is, is what these two on the way to, to, uh, to Emmaus, they couldn't see any of that. The wild thing is Jesus had clearly foretold just six chapters earlier and multiple other times in Luke's gospel, all of these things were going to happen. Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written in the prophets, that's a key line about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. Watch, on the third day, he will rise again. He forecasted everything that was going to happen just six chapters earlier in Luke's gospel and yet the weekend that it does, it's like they never heard a word. And they're so overcome with sorrow and despair, they don't buy it. I want you to see where their despair flowed from though. Remember some of the things that we were just reading we were reading about how they said a Messiah is going to, he was gonna be the one who was gonna overthrow Rome. He's the one who's going to redeem Israel was the exact terminology. They're crushed because their military Messiah didn't deliver. And we're gonna see how important their misunderstanding of Messiah is about to be. 
But can I throw this out to you today? I wonder if there's some of us that are here, or some of us watching online, that that's actually what you carried in with you to this Easter weekend service. Expectations that you have had of who Jesus is and what he was supposed to do for you or the people that you love. And those things have not added up and therefore it's been a struggle to completely put your faith and trust in a Jesus who's different than who you thought he would be. More to come. Number two in your notes. If you're seeking Jesus, look for him in his book, the Bible. If you're seeking Jesus, the place to find him most readily and most over big picture wise is in his book, the Bible. Look on Luke 24, 25. He, Jesus said to them, look how he rebukes them. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures, watch, concerning himself. This is where you can find who I am, what I was going to do and deliver and what I've made good on, not your expectations that you've imposed upon me, but whose scripture told you in advance I would be. Imagine that conversation, right? These two people, they're crushed in spirit. They're walking home. It's over. A stranger rebukes him. I can't believe you don't understand this is another way of saying what he said. And now on the conversation, on the next few miles home, he begins to unpack for them what all of the former covenant, which all of the Old Testament said about the reality of Messiah focusing so much on what was there about the fact that he would suffer. The military Messiah that Israel had locked in on by the first century under the weight of Roman oppression, Rome was basically in charge and large over all the world at that time. And so the reality is, is just break the yoke of Rome on our backs. That's the Messiah that needs to come. And this is what they would have done. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse one. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, watch, and he will bring justice to the nations. Reading Isaiah 42, one, the people would clamor, that's who Messiah is, that's what he looks like, that's who we're waiting for. He's gonna bring justice to the nations. And how do you do that any other way but with an army? How do you do that any other way but with power and strength? But the very next words of Isaiah 42, verse two, he will not shout or cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, imagine like a reed in a pond or a lake, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He was gonna come in gentleness, 
In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands, meaning the the Gentiles, the nations from afar will put their hope. I, the Lord, have called you the Messiah in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. Watch, and a light for the Gentiles. I didn't ever have Messiah in mind just to redeem Israel. He came for the world. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. You see, this Messiah, though communicated, written about, taught in synagogues about, this Messiah was forgotten. And a Messiah who was going to meet my immediate needs, make Rome stop taxing me. Get Roman soldiers out of our land. Let us do as we please in the sovereign space we occupy. These would have been the rants and the chants that the people of Israel would have had in the first century And then when you realize who Jesus is and what he came to do that was already articulated in the Old Testament, but they had conjured up their own version. Man, it was like ships in the night. Even those who followed Jesus for three years didn't understand that what he came to do, watch this, was greater by far than anything to rescue one nation from the planet, but he came to rescue every nation on the planet. Yea, God. We are so grateful for that truth and that reality. Verses 25 through 27, what we just read about Jesus correcting the expectations of these journey people, these journeymen to Emmaus, is so powerful and profound because we need to be reminded that our savior came, foretold his suffering, and if that's what life was like for him, how could I assume it wouldn't be true for me? Many of you were able to join us a Friday night ago for a, a Seder experience that we did here in the Victorville campus. And in that, we had a group that we love called Jews for Jesus, a great representative named Isaac Brickner. And, and Isaac's ministry, his ministry group, have on their website these things that are powerful when you consider their ministry is to people who are currently Jewish yet don't understand Messiah has already come. In your notes and on the screen, Psalm 22 referenced about a Messiah who would suffer, foretold that Messiah would be forsaken, pierced, and vindicated. Isaiah 52 and 53 foretold that Messiah would be a suffering servant. Psalm 118 foretold that Messiah would be the rejected cornerstone. Genesis 22 foretold that Messiah would be a willing sacrifice. Psalm 69 foretold that Messiah would be a righteous sufferer. Jeremiah 31 foretold that Messiah would be the object of a murderous plot. And Psalm 16 foretold that Messiah would be resurrected. All of these truths and promises and prophecies were foretold hundreds of years before, all in the very book that these two on their way to Emmaus, heads hanging low, should have known 
and should have connected the dots. This needed to happen for Jesus to do what he came to do. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. So let me roll this back. That was 2,000 years ago on a road outside of Jerusalem. Let's contextualize 2023 of Easter weekend. In your notes, I wonder if there's something there for you today on this Easter weekend. First, have you put expectations on Jesus that he never said he would do for you? Have you walked in discouraged and dismayed that God hasn't lived up to his, quote, part of the bargain, a bargain he never signed, but you placed on him. That's what God should do. Secondly, have you claimed promises from Jesus he never promised you? The New Testament is rich with things that are promises for God's people, but not everyone is directed to every one of us. There are some that are generic to all who have put their faith in Christ. He will never leave us or forsake us. But other promises that we've gone a step further and said, Jesus, but you said, simple question, did he say it? And finally, have you put Jesus on a timetable to provide for you that he's never agreed to? It might not even be that what you desire and and want, definitely, by the way, none of these things I would say are bad, somehow sinful. They're just not the things that Jesus ever said he was on the hook for. Or have you put him on a timetable? God, you are supposed to fix this situation by then. You are supposed to deal with this relational problem. My kids were supposed to behave by now. Amen? Amen. That is a tough one. As we process that, have we put on to God, God, why haven't you delivered to a God who has said, number one, your agenda is short-sighted. You can't see the big picture. And number two, I actually have something in store for you far greater than you could ever dream of yourself we might not be too dissimilar from these two walking to Emmaus. Finally today, number three, when you experience the risen Jesus, you can't help but tell others. When you experience the risen Jesus, you can't help but tell others. This is the end of the story, chapter 24, verse 28. When they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he quickly disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This truth bomb that we were walking through, didn't it just not unsettle us so much? They got up from the table and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So they're on this way, right? Jesus, again, is is just 
not only visibly veiled to them, but what he's saying just gives no indication of who he is. And they finally, it'd be very customary as dusk is coming. No, 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 you can't walk any further. Come and stay with us tonight. And as Jesus accepts the invitation and walks into the home, whatever things would have transpired initially happened until ultimately they're tired from a seven mile walk. I sure would have been probably at mile two. And they're sitting here at the table. And here's the wild thing. Jesus is the guest, but Jesus takes the role as host. And he takes the bread. And if you note the sequence of what he does, he takes the bread, he offers thanks, he breaks it and hands it to them. It actually goes the very same way, the very first narrative we looked in this series when Jesus multiplied the food and fed thousands on a hillside. What he does in a dining room in Emmaus, he did on a hillside in Bethsaida for thousands. And whether it was that sequence or whether simply supernaturally, these two people's eyes were open. They understand, they see he's recognizable to them. This is the risen Jesus who's been with us all day. Of all the art that has been put together about the Emmaus Road. This one's probably my favorite. And it's my favorite, not because it captures first century Middle Eastern men. Because if you look at these people, they look exactly like the 16th century Italian artist who painted them. (laughs) I don't look at all like people would have in the first century. But this Italian artist, what I love about the portrait, so many other portraits are all about the walk. This one is all about the table. And it's as though as Jesus has broken the bread and he's having this conversation, they become aware. This is who we've been with all day. Luke tells us that immediately he was taken from them. He disappeared. So, I mean, we're just talking about all these crazy supernatural realities. He's been veiled to them all day. They notice who he is. And here's the thing we'd all be asking, why does he leave now? This is when it gets good. We finally know who we're talking to. Jesus, what was it like? Jesus, how did this happen? He's gone. And this is what I tell you. This is why I think it went this way. These two crushed by the weight of hopelessness, watch, not just that Messiah was dead. He'd already told them this was gonna happen and already told them he'd been risen, he'd raised on the third day, but crushed by their own expectations of what he was supposed to do for them. What they needed most that day wasn't so much to see Jesus, it was that they needed to hear Jesus tell them You've put your own version of who died on that cross that day and it wasn't me. Because I am telling you what was forecast, what was prophesied about who I would be and I fulfilled every single one of them. Let me help reorient you to the Messiah that God always had promised to you. That's what they needed most. And the moment that they realized who it was, watch this, they were tired, they were shot, they were sitting down ready to have a meal. They hightail it out of there. They run seven miles back to Jerusalem. 
They w- I would have been exhausted after about 50 feet. Like, come on, we just did seven miles one way. Uh, let's do it in the morning. No, these guys, they just haul back. And the minute they come into the space where everyone's gathered, already people are saying, Jesus has appeared to Peter. Like he's not just out of the tomb, he's literally alive. And these guys come in and add their stories. And here's the wild thing. I stopped reading just before this really powerful moment where everybody gets on board. The very next verse after this concept, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Can you even imagine the incredible emotional roller coaster of that weekend? And now what they never dreamed was even possible is standing right there. I wonder for you, if you're here this Easter weekend and, and you've kind of thought, you know, I don't know what I think about this Jesus thing. I mean, a lot of people, the people who invited me today, they sure think it's legit. I hear about him in our culture. I know there's a lot of churches who think highly of him. I just don't know what I think. But can I tell you this? I've been praying for you this week. And not at all that I'd have something fancy or interesting to say, but more importantly, as you just heard the word of God, that maybe you're actually experiencing exactly what these two on the way to Emmaus did. Were not our hearts burning within us as we heard the truth of who Messiah is? And if you're here today and you would say, Todd, I... I am ready to not just know information about, I am ready to respond in faith. Because the Bible says that's the actual obvious next step. Romans 10, nine says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where it all begins. Not mental ascent, not knowledge, but commitment a voice, belief in your heart that this weekend is really what this weekend's all about. And by the way, once that reality becomes true in you, you will be like these two on the road. It might not be running seven miles, but it will be getting out your phone and calling your grandmother who's been praying for you for decades. Grandma, man, thank you. Thank you for praying for me. I get it. And I put my faith in Jesus today. This is what happens on the screen. An encounter with Christ is a call to action, to involvement, to participation. You can't remain a passive observer for the two disciples meeting the risen Christ results in a radical change of plan. They return to the city because now everything has changed. In your notes, this is what it's like. It's how you can't help but share the good news with people when you find your keys or your wallet or your phone that you've been looking for. You're frantic. You realize all that's gonna happen if you can't find that. But when you do, you can't wait to tell everyone about it. But in this case, you're the one who's found. Infinitely more important than your phone. You're the one who's found and you want everyone to know. Remember I told you at the beginning of our time today, we'd close with this idea that there is still a dinner table. There is still a feast to be had by each and every one who has placed their faith in Christ. 
Revelation 19 talks about this marriage supper of the lamb. And this wedding and reception will have all the things that you would expect. It'll have a meaningful ceremony. It'll have incredible food. And it will have amazing dance moves. There is no doubt in my life. These are some of the ones from Aaliyah and Joe's wedding that capture the one and only amazing discotheque guy who can't stop his feet from moving, Pastor Todd. And I'm telling you, they're gonna be that and better. And I wanna remind you, man, I wanna see you there. And what is that entrance is not living a good moral life? What is that entrance is not attending a lot of church? What is that entrance? It's only Jesus, him and him alone. And your faith in him provides you a place at the table. Let me pray. Father God, what an incredible weekend. Power of just delving into the reality of the cross. But God, the celebration on this side of the empty tomb. We are so grateful for not only the truth of the resurrection, the truth that goes beyond what any other religious leader could ever profess, but God, the truth that we need when we match our ideal of what we think you are here, what we think you came for, and yet what you did, and who you were and what your mission was, God, align us to that. And let us rejoice because our version is so much smaller than who you are and what you came to do. If you're here today on this Easter weekend with us in Powell or watching online, and you would say, Todd, I want to be at that feast coming someday. I want to be included in this family of God. Then would you A, admit Simply admit the truth you knew when you walked in the door that you are a sinner who needs a savior. Would you be believed that this Jesus that we have talked about, the real Jesus, and not your or other people's version of him, that he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. And he did it all for you. Would you see, choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence, my trust in who you are and in what you did, not in what I can do to earn because grace is a gift. And I wanna follow you with the rest of my life. You can make that decision, a decision that's going to be demonstrated visibly to you moments from now in water baptism. But for every single person getting into these waters today, it began because they made a decision to entrust their lives, to surrender to you. Father, thank you so much for the truth and the hope of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.